0: And y'all can go ahead and be seated. Well, good morning. Um, Welcome, everyone, to Redeemer. Um, As Tyler said, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Really glad that you're here. Thank you so much for joining us um, this morning. Um, Students, um, if you're in school, keep it up. You're really, really close to the end. Same thing for (laughs) faculty, staff, teachers, everything like that. Keep it up. Um, Things are are. I'm going to come to an end soon, and then we all get a break, and we get to celebrate Christmas, so that's always really fun. Um, But it is, obviously, the Christmas season, and so uh, here at Redeemer, um, we celebrate Advent. I know not everyone grew up celebrating Advent. I, for one, did not. This is um, a new thing for me since being at Redeemer, to celebrate Advent. But Advent, the word just literally means coming or arrival, and it's the time that we look back and remember um, that Jesus came to the earth um, as human to ultimately go to the cross for our sins. So he came to the earth, he arrived on the scene um, to bring the kingdom of God um, and to save us. And so um, a lot of churches, in celebrating Advent, they focus on particular themes, and so that's what we're doing this Advent season. We're focusing on hope, on peace, on joy, and on love. And so today we are thinking and focusing on peace. Um, and to start off, I kind of wanted us to, to think a lot of about what is peace. I'm going to ask just a series of questions, and I think especially given um, the state of our world for a while now, peace can feel hard to come by. Um, and so when we think of peace, I want us to figure out what we think of. So when you hear the word peace or peaceful, what comes to mind? Do you think of being in a particular place Uh, Maybe for you, you're relaxing on a beach with white shores and blue skies. You've got a drink in your hand with a little umbrella in it. Maybe uh, when you think of peace, you're, you're in the mountains. You're breathing the crisp mountain air. Or maybe you're just curled up on a couch with a blanket, some coffee and tea, a good book, watching something on Netflix. It's raining outside. Maybe those are the types of things that come to mind when you think of peace. But as you think of peace, who is with you? Are you by yourself, or is there someone else with you to help you feel more at peace? As you envision peace, what are your relationships like in general? What is going on? What is the world like around you as you think about peace? When you think about peace, do you think that peace is the absence of something, or is peace the presence of something, or maybe it's a combination of both of those things? And so whatever might have been coming to mind as I ask those questions about what you think about when you think about peace, I want you to think about whether or not peace ever truly feels attainable. Can we ever truly feel at peace? Or is it elusive, like trying to grasp the smoke from the flame of a candle? So the biblical word for peace, particularly in the Old Testament, is shalom. Um, And kind of as Tyler was saying in his prayer, shalom means completeness, Wholeness, well being, and peace. It's not necessarily the absence of negative circumstances like war or strife, but the active presence of the wholeness, the completeness that only God can bring to us. It is physical health and well being, it is relational peace, it is all things being morally upright and good in society, every person having their deepest needs met, there being perfect justice and righteousness. So when the Bible talks about peace, shalom, this is the type of peace that it's talking about. And this ultimately is the peace that Jesus brought as he came to the earth in his first advent when he arrived on this earth as a baby. For this ultimately is the type of peace that only God can bring. This is the peace of the kingdom of God. And we know that Jesus, he brought the kingdom when he came to earth. And so this is why ultimately the angels declare to the shepherds when Jesus is born, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. So the arrival of Jesus to the earth means the arrival of the author and the source of perfect peace. And this peace is the type of peace that he desires to give every single one of us. It's peace that everyone who has placed faith in Jesus can experience ultimately at all times. But in reflecting back on the questions that I was asking, especially the one about can we ever experience this type of peace, I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we would say that feeling this type of peace kind of seems impossible. It's elusive, especially when life circumstances are hard. For how can we go through difficult, hard, trying life circumstances and experience this type of peace of God, this wholeness, this completeness at the exact same time. So in our passage this morning, we're going to see that Jesus, he offers the gift of peace to everyone who comes to him in faith. And ultimately, this is a peace that no circumstances, no person, no power, nothing can take away from us. And so let's kind of get back into the passage. We're just going to read John 14, verse 27 to start off. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So even in just this one verse, we see that there's a lot of things that it communicates, that Jesus communicates to us about peace. The first is that the peace that Jesus gives is different than the peace that the world gives. Peace here is reflecting that Hebrew word shalom that I was just talking about. And that was a customary Jewish greeting at this time. And Jesus is using it here kind of as a farewell statement. He's about to go to the cross. So this is kind of his farewell peace statement to his disciples. But even though Jesus is about to depart, he is sure to give his peace to his disciples. It's not a peace that they have to work for or earn, but simply they just receive it. And this peace, like I said, it's referring to the wholeness and the completeness of the kingdom of God. The Old Testament. Check. Okay. Sorry about that. We've had that. I swear every time we have stuff like that happen with the mic, it always happens to me. Um, and I do not know why, but nevertheless, I'm glad we have a backup mic. Sorry, where was I? Um, so the peace that Jesus brings, the peace that he is leaving with his disciples is the Hebrew word shalom coming from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, it prophesied that God's Messiah would bring this kingdom, the kingdom of God. And we know that Jesus is that Messiah who brought the kingdom. And so, Jesus, he's about to go to the cross, then he's going to leave the world to sit at the Father's right hand, but he leaves his peace with his people. And it's different, ultimately, as he says, than the peace that the world offers. Because I think the world claims to offer peace, but I don't think the world can ever actually truly deliver on this offer. The peace the world offers ultimately is conditional upon our circumstances. When there's the absence of negative life circumstances and the presence of positive circumstances, then we experience peace. But as I said before, I think we can all relate to wanting to experience peace even, and probably especially amidst difficult life circumstances. And so if this is the reality of the peace that the world offers us, then the peace the world offers is ultimately partial. It's incomplete. It cannot exist no matter what. It comes and goes and it's based on our circumstances. I think there's also the reality that the peace that the world offers to us can sometimes come at the expense of other people, of other human beings. So when Jesus was saying this, peace he's leaving with his disciples, at this time in the Roman Empire, there was great peace. It was a peace of what is called the the Pax Romana, which just means literally Roman peace. However, this peace was accomplished by the Romans through military conquest And ultimately, it was maintained by the subjugation of certain people. The Roman historian Tacitus, he commented on an altar to peace that Augustus Caesar built after Augustus Caesar was waging war in the Western Europe. And then Tacitus said this about that altar to peace. He said, they make a desolation and call it peace. And I think this type of worldly peace still exists today across the world as people and systems and structures uphold a worldly peace for some at the expense of others. But ultimately, this type of worldly peace, this peace is very different than the type of peace that Jesus offers. The world secures peace through violence and oppression. But Jesus secured perfect peace through enduring the violence of the cross himself. Colossians 1:19 through 20 says, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. So this is the peace of the kingdom of God that Jesus brought in his first advent because when God rules and reigns in the world, there is peace. There is perfect peace. And this is wholeness and completion. It's not just the absence of war and strife. And So Jesus, he made peace by going to the cross and shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sins. This peace exists now in our fallen world and will one day bring about cosmic reconciliation as everything and everyone in heaven and earth will rightfully declare that Jesus is the rightful Lord and King of everything. The King who brings cosmic peace by enduring violence on behalf of others, not enacting it upon others. And this is peace that only Jesus can bring, the peace of the kingdom of God. It is different than the peace that the world tries to offer us. In um, March of this year, earlier this year, I came across a poem called Miracles um, by Richard Jones. I'm not sure who Richard Jones is, but um, the poem has come up to me um, a few times. I I saved it on my phone, and every time I read it, I kind of find it very relatable. Um, And so I wanted to read it. It says this. I need to witness miracles today. A river turned to blood, water become wine, a burning coal touching the prophet's lips, Black ravens swooping down to bring a starving man bread and meat. A poor fisherman raising the dead. I've heard theologians say, this is not the age of miracles, but still, I'm easy to impress. I don't need to climb out of the boat and walk on the water. I just like to put my head on the pillow while the storm still rages and rest. And it's that line in particular that always stands out to me because I feel like it's so relatable. It's the type of peace that ultimately we are all looking for. A peace that exists at all times, not just when our life circumstances are good and desirable. A peace that allows us to experience rest, even in the midst of a raging storm. And this is the type of peace that Jesus offers us. This same Jesus who not only rested in the boat while there was a storm outside, but ultimately he calmed the storm with the words, peace, be still. Jesus offers peace that is different than the world because it is perfect and complete. It has the power to comfort us and give us rest in the midst of a raging storm, but it also has the power to silence the storm, to stop the storm. This is the peace that Jesus gives us. So take comfort that Jesus gives perfect peace that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. It is peace that can exist even in the worst of storms. And his perfect peace and wholeness that we in all creation will fully experience one day when Jesus returns in his second advent and makes all the sad things come untrue. So we see the peace that Jesus gives that he offers to his disciples and therefore to us is different than the peace that the world gives. But it's also a peace that calms us in our troubles. Jesus, he tells his disciples to not let their hearts be troubled. And they're troubled because Jesus has said that he's leaving them. He is going away, and they cannot follow him at the moment. And so this is their their master. This is their Lord. So they are understandably distraught at this, that he is leaving. But what Jesus means when he says that is he's he's about to go to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to rise from the dead, and then he's ultimately going to ascend to sit at the right hand of the Father. So in that sense, he is leaving, and the disciples at that moment, they, they can't follow him. This might cause temporary trouble for the disciples, but ultimately, Jesus is saying, we'll secure perfect peace as Jesus triumphs over Satan, sin, and death. And this is peace for all who put their faith and trust in Christ alone. That's why Jesus, later on in this section of the Gospel of John, he tells his disciples this in John sixteen thirty three, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So Jesus himself, he experienced a lot of trouble in his lifetime. Mary and Joseph had to take him and flee to Egypt when he was a baby because there was the threat that Herod was going to murder him. He endured consistent persecution throughout his ministry, plenty of plots to kill him. And then, of course, he finally endured excruciating pain as he was murdered on a Roman cross. So he experienced a lot of pain and suffering and strife. And yet through all of this, through his death and resurrection, Jesus, he overcame the world. And he didn't just do this for himself, but he did it for us. He did it for you, and he did it for me. So when we experience trouble, the peace of Christ, who ultimately knows what it is like to experience trouble himself, comforts us. This peace amidst trouble, ultimately, it's not saying that we as Christians, we should just try to escape all the troubles and trials of this life. This peace amidst trouble is not a naive optimism that ignores the harsh realities of life. Rather, Jesus' promise of peace to his disciples is peace amidst troubles. It is a realistic peace. For Jesus, he knows that the disciples, they're not only going to be troubled when he dies on the cross, and they witness this, but the disciples, they're going to go on after this to experience trouble themselves, persecution, and many of them ultimately will die martyrs' death. And so he's not saying that they should escape the troubles of this world or pretend as if the troubles of this world don't exist, but he is saying to look to him, the one who has overcome the world for them, to find comfort and peace amidst the troubles and the anxieties of life. And so as we think of this type of peace, the peace that only Jesus offers us, especially amidst the troubles and trials of life, I want you to think, where are you experiencing trouble in your life? What anxieties distract you throughout the day and keep you awake at night? Where do you want comfort and peace? With whatever's coming to mind, I encourage you, look to Jesus. He not only understands what it's like to experience troubles, he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with suffering, but he is also the only one who is able to provide the perfect peace that you long for. The peace that exists amidst troubles and the raging storm. And so, Jesus' peace that he offers his disciples to us, it calms our troubles, but it also combats our fears. And the disciples, they're they're troubled, but they're also afraid that Jesus said he was leaving because what are they going to do without Jesus to physically be there with him to lead them? And so Jesus, he speaks peace to the fears of the disciples, and he speaks this peace based on two reasons. One, that he will send the Holy Spirit, and two, that the Father is greater than him. Let's look at verse 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. So Jesus, he reassures them that while he is leaving them, he's ultimately going to return. He will depart, but he will return again. But in the meantime, he has promised to send his followers another counselor, to be with them forever, the Spirit of truth. That's what he said in John 14, 16, and 17. The Holy Spirit, who in the Old Testament would come upon specific people for specific purposes, would now be sent by Jesus, by the Father, to dwell within every true believer. And he is the Spirit of truth. In verse 26, Jesus says, the Spirit will teach you all things, and he will remind you of everything that I have told you. The Holy Spirit is comforter, consoler, encourager, and helper. That's what counselor means. And so the Spirit's main job is to point disciples to Jesus and remind them and reassure them of all that Jesus said and did to accomplish salvation through his death on the cross and to experience the comfort and peace that we now have through faith in Christ. And ultimately, Jesus will later go on to say that it's better that he depart the earth and send the Holy Spirit than for him to remain with the disciples on the earth and to not send the Holy Spirit. And so when we are fearful, like the disciples are fearful here, the Holy Spirit mediates the peace of Jesus to us. He reminds us of the truths of the gospel. And he intercedes for us according to the perfect will of God. So when the cares of this world overwhelm us and we are experiencing fear, when we don't know exactly what to pray in those moments, the Holy Spirit prays to the Father for us. That's what Romans eight twenty six and 27 says. It says this, in the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so what could provide more peace than the fact that in the face of fear, we have the Holy Spirit, who is himself fully God, dwelling inside each one of us who has placed faith in Christ, who loves us perfectly and prays to the Father according to God's perfect will. He constantly reminds us of the truth of the gospel of Jesus and applies the saving and atoning work of Christ to us. He testifies, as Romans 8 says, with our spirits that we are God's adopted children through faith in Christ and we have received the righteousness of Christ. What a wonderful Savior for Jesus to go to the cross for our sins and ultimately to send the Holy Spirit to us, to dwell inside us. And so this combats our fears. And Jesus, he also says to the disciples that it's a joyful thing for him to go away because ultimately he is returning back to the Father. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, they have always existed in a perfect dance of love for all of eternity. And so in his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus was returning to be with the Father. And so in saying that the Father is greater than him, Jesus, he's not saying that Jesus is not fully God. He's not saying that Jesus is somehow inferior to the Father in his divinity, nothing like that. For Jesus has just told the disciples that he is in the Father. The Father is in him. Back in John 10, Jesus says that he and the Father are one. So they are both fully and equally God. But there is the reality that the Father is the one who sent the Son to the earth to accomplish his will And the Son is the one who joyfully came to the earth and set out to do everything that the Father sent him to do. Yet the desires and the mission of the Father and the Son have always been in perfect alignment. But in saying this, Jesus is reassuring the disciples that God is ultimately in control of everything that is about to happen to him. Yes, he's going to go to the cross and die, but that is perfectly according to God's plan. And Jesus, as I said, he is in complete agreement with the plan. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. That's why he came to the earth to begin with. God ultimately is sovereign over all things. So Jesus is reassuring the disciples that this is the case. So we need not fear. God is in control and he is trustworthy. That's why Jesus says in verse 29, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. The disciples ultimately are troubled and afraid now. But Jesus is telling them everything that will happen so they should rest in his perfect peace. And everything that Jesus tells them will happen does happen. It comes to pass. And so this shows that God is in control. He is sovereign and ultimately he is trustworthy. And this reality that God is in control and trustworthy combats our fears. It allows us to experience the peace of God. And so, again, thinking in your own life, where are you experiencing fear right now? Where would you like to experience the peace of God amidst this fear? Do you believe that peace in the midst of a raging storm is actually possible? Do you trust that no matter what is happening right now or what might happen in the future, that God is perfectly in control and he's working all things for his glory and your ultimate good in Christ? How might looking to Jesus to experience this perfect peace amidst fear, what might that look like for you? And who in your life can come alongside you to walk down this path of looking to Jesus for perfect peace? Jesus continues, verses 30 and 31. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father." Rise, let us go from here. So the ruler of this world that Jesus is referring to is Satan. And when Jesus goes to the cross and ultimately dies on the cross, it may appear to anyone watching or knowing what's going on that Satan has defeated Jesus. But nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus says that Satan actually is no match for Jesus. Though Satan would use Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus to death, He would use all sorts of other things to orchestrate the defeat of Jesus. It will be shown that he ultimately is the one who was defeated. For he has absolutely nothing on Jesus. Even with the power that Satan does possess, it is nothing compared to Jesus' power. Because Satan, he is the ruler of this world and he ultimately does have power in this fallen world. But it's not ultimate power. He is able to do only what God allows him to do because God ultimately is the one with all power and authority. I've heard it said that Satan is a leashed enemy. He only has as much slack on his leash as God allows him to do his evil deeds. And so with his power that he has, he tried to kill Jesus. He tried to get rid of Jesus completely. And while Jesus was killed, it was according to God's perfect plan and it accomplished ultimately the decisive defeat of Satan. Not Jesus. So what Jesus accomplished at the cross brings peace for all who put their faith in him, and it will bring universal peace when Jesus returns again in his second advent. And all of these things is what was predicted about the Messiah in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. For Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, it ultimately prophesied about the Messiah. So it prophesied about Jesus when it said this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And then a couple of chapters later in Isaiah 11, it talks about the Messiah, Jesus, judging with righteousness and equity for all. It talks about the wolf and the lamb lying down together. And it talks about full, complete knowledge of the Lord, filling the whole earth like waters cover the sea. So ultimately, Satan, he does have power. But Jesus is the prince of peace who has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus, he accomplished this peace at the cross, and he left this peace for his followers to experience, even in the worst of circumstances. And one day, Jesus, he will return, and he will fully establish God's kingdom as king of God's kingdom. There will be full knowledge of Christ as Lord, and every knee will bow in heaven and on earth to Jesus as king. And ultimately, Satan and demons will also rightly recognize that Jesus, he is Lord and king. They will recognize that they were wrong to work against Jesus. They were wrong to work against the kingdom of God. And ultimately, they will recognize that their punishment is just for trying to do so. This is the type of cosmic peace and reconciliation that is talked about in Colossians 1. That Jesus ultimately won by going to the cross. And so this brings comfort and peace to us now. Because trials and suffering happen to everyone in this world, and they are the result of sin in a fallen world. And Satan, he delights in sin. He delights in our suffering. But if we are in Christ, then we are united to the one who triumphed over Satan, sin, and death. They have no power over Jesus. And Jesus, he uses all his power and authority to save and to redeem us, to make us God's adopted children through faith in Christ, to give us grace and strength comfort and peace in the face of trials, anxieties, and fear, and to one day ultimately bring about perfect peace for the entire universe as he returns again in his second advent and fully establishes the kingdom of God forever. So Jesus is the prince of peace who came to this world in order to go to the cross so that ultimately those who put their faith in him can experience his perfect peace at all times, even in the midst of trials and trouble. And for those who put their faith in him to rest in this perfect peace for all eternity when Jesus comes back again. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know this Prince of Peace, I would encourage you, trust in him. And if you do know Jesus, if you have come to this perfect Prince of Peace, look to him. Rest in the peace he gives and find comfort and encouragement and assurance that this is a perfect complete, whole peace that exists at all times, even in trouble and in trials and anxieties and fears. For Jesus is king of his kingdom, and he brought the kingdom, and it is a kingdom of peace for all. Wholeness and completeness for all. So, as we look to Jesus and the peace that he offers us today, as we, during this time of Advent, look forward to celebrating his birth, his arrival to this earth. Come to him in faith. Trust him for your forgiveness of sins and look to him for peace. It is peace that the world cannot give and it is peace that the world cannot take away because it is a perfect peace, a wholeness and completion. So may we rejoice in our Savior today who gives us this perfect peace. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, there are always things going on in our world where we recognize that we need peace. Lord, where we recognize that we live in a fallen world, that sin affects every single person, God, and that there are trials and trouble, anxieties and suffering for all of us, Lord. God, they come and go, they vary, but suffering is no respecter of persons in this world. We all experience it. And so, Lord, it is because of that that we thank you, that Jesus, you came to this earth as the prince of peace, to bring the kingdom, to go to the cross for our sins, to rise from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father so that those who put their faith and trust in you, Lord, can be forgiven and saved and welcomed into this kingdom where you rule as king and you rule in perfect peace and righteousness and justice for all who have placed their faith in you. So I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has not trusted in you in these ways, God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, that you would lead them into the truth about who Jesus is as the Messiah, as the Prince of Peace. And then they might place their faith in Christ for salvation. And Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, Lord, chances are every single one of us in one way or another are experiencing trouble, are experiencing anxiety, maybe even experiencing fear about different things. Lord, may we look to you the author and perfecter of our faith, the Prince of Peace, who brings this perfect peace, Lord, a wholeness and a completeness, Lord, that is completely different from the peace that the world tries to offer us, Lord. And it is peace that allows us to experience comfort and peace and rest, Lord, even in the midst of a raging storm. And it is peace, God, that can even calm the raging storms in our lives, in the world, and in our hearts. So, Lord, I pray that you would bring peace, where there is chaos and turmoil. God, that you would bring comfort where there is trouble and anxiety for us today. And God, may we rejoice and thank and worship you, Lord, that only you bring this peace, that it is found through putting our faith and trust in Christ alone, God, and it exists at all times, no matter what we're experiencing. So thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us peace. Thank you for coming to this earth and going to the cross for us. May we give you the praise and honor that you deserve for all of these things. And so we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.